0: Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts:
1: Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode one hundred and eighteen, recorded on May nineteenth, twenty twenty-one. The Cloud Pod talks Lambda. Mm, which one? Good evening, Welcome Jonathan back. and Peter. Thanks. Yeah, hey, uh, hey. you guys, you guys got a show out. I'm so proud. We, <laughs> we did it. Uh, you know, and I, I enjoyed every bit of it, and I listened to the unedited version, which was more hilarious than the edited version. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I listened to both, actually, and they, they both turned out really good. So good job, Jonathan. I, uh, good I, job, Jonathan. You know, I did hear at the end that you you were not going to do it again unless you had to write your own show notes. Which I, you know, going on vacation and writing your show notes, I would prefer not to do that anyway. So you can definitely write your own show notes next time.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was m- m- more a compliment for you, really. Since oh, uh, you you're sort of seamlessly glide through these things and, and turn turn the notes into something it sounds pretty good, so yeah.
1: yeah. D- so, I mean, a lot of the show notes are it's art, right? So it's you, I want to put enough content there so when Peter shows up to the show without doing the homework, you know, he knows at least what we're talking about. <laughs> so there's bullets for Peter, and there's yeah. bullets for the for me for the talking part of it. And I know the difference, but you guys probably don't. So, but uh, yeah, it's perfect. It's, uh, it's always good.
0: Yes, yeah, it's like, an, it's uh, like any pre- presentation, I guess. You know, you just making enough notes to prompt you to remember the thing you need to talk about without writing it all down word for word. So yeah, it's uh, it was humbling, and
1: uh, <laughs> I appreciate that you're back. And I'm sure if I was doing your editing job, that I also would be humbled by the complexity of it. So I, you know, I appreciate that you found it difficult, uh, but I also know that your job is very difficult too. So. <laughs> all right well we have another action-packed week you guys uh, covered some great stories last week but uh, there's of course another set of stories every week here at the cloud pod and we will get started with some general news first up vmware has picked their new ceo uh, which is a VMware veteran from 18 years named Raghu Ragaram uh, as the new CEO. Uh, he would take over on June 1st, uh, following the departure of Pat Gelsinger, who left in January to go back and be the CEO at Intel. Uh, you know, Yahoo Finance apparently said that he was appointed after several external candidates turned down the job, which is great to be you know third choice, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but uh, you know that's unfortunate for him. Uh, but they also uh, overlooked uh, Sanjay Poonin, who was our CEO. Uh, and so there was a lot of speculation in the market uh, that he would potentially be uh, named as the successor, but he is now leaving the organization because he did not get the job either. Uh, as well as Sumit Dawan, is now cr- who's currently senior vice president and chief customer officer, will now become the VMware president. Uh, and Zane Rao, who is interact who is acting as interim CEO, will go back to his job as the CFO. Uh, so lots of changes at the VMware world. You know, The most notable thing about Ragu though, is that he's actually been the brains behind not only the cloud strategy they've been doing for the last few years, which is you know, partnering with AWS and Google and OCI and everybody else, but he's also the brains behind the Tanzu initiative, which we think is a pretty interesting Kubernetes play.
2: You know, I, th- I think it's kind of funny. In order for several candidates to turn down the job, they had to first go apply for the job. So of I mean, interesting that they uh, applied, so they were definitely interested in being the CEO of VMware uh, must not have liked the package.
1: I mean, CEOs don't really apply. They're they're reached out to by board members and people in the know who know them, and you know they're tapped. That they, you know that's it's very rarely that they're applying for the job. In some cases, they are. You hear those stories of like you know so and so was so excited about the job opportunity, he reached out to someone on the board. But most of the time, it's it's the other way around. The board reaches out through executive recruiting. Or you know, a board member knows someone who knows somebody who refers somebody, and that's how those CEO roles typically get filled. I think
2: mean, somebody had to be interested.
1: I mean, I wouldn't have been interested. I mean, ten years ago, maybe because when VMware was still in the height in the height of its its glory, but you know, it's kind of like a business sort of in decline. So I don't know. It, you got to be. A CEO I know, but like, this is your
2: that. chance. This is your chance. This is like going and getting that two and fourteen the head coaching job at the two and fourteen football team and turning it around. I guess so. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to pass on that opportunity at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, an
1: interesting uh, story out of Europe uh, rounds out our general news this week. Uh, Apparently, France says its most sensitive state and corporate data can now be safely stored in the Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure if it is licensed to French companies. And uh, basically, this is part of a strategic plan laid out by French finance minister Bruno Le Maire and two other ministers acknowledging U.S. technological superiority in the field in contrast with previous calls from the European positions for a fully homegrown cloud alternative in the EU. Uh, indicated that a trustworthy cloud computing alternative can be developed with Europe to guarantee the data stays on French soil. But until that happens, MS and Google are a great choice. Uh, he did make no mention of Amazon. A little snub there to Amazon. I'm not sure what that's about, uh, but they were not on the list. Uh, as well as there's a couple French companies that are already considered trustworthy, uh, including OVH Cloud and Assault Systems, uh, which are two French companies. Uh, so you know a little interesting announcement, but uh, definitely Google and Microsoft in the lead there, apparently in France for all of that government business.
2: Is it just regional location? I wonder why they snubbed AWS. I mean, it doesn't,
1: I believe Amazon does have a French data center, don't they? They do. They have a region in Paris, yeah. 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 There's really, I mean, Microsoft already had one, and then Google, I think, has one as well. But yeah, it's a little interesting. I I wonder if there's some some bigger play, something bigger at play there that he didn't call it Amazon specifically, but did call it Microsoft and Google. But no, also mentioned Oracle either. So I guess. Oracle's garage data center didn't work out for them this time around. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move to AWS. AWS has been busy, as always. First up, they have generally available, or how do you, it's now generally available, (laughs) the (laughs) AWS SaaS Boost, uh, which they have also released as open source. The SaaS Boost significantly offloads development efforts by accelerating application transformation to SaaS, freeing up developers to focus on features that differentiate the product. Uh, And this is now available on GitHub to you. As a SaaS company, of have common foundational capabilities, including onboarding users, provisioning infrastructure for tenants, monitoring consumption trends, configuring your tenant profiles, integrating with billing systems, and servicing key metrics. And these functions are critical for SaaS companies to scale. And if every SaaS company had to develop these themselves, it would consume a lot of valuable developer time that could be worked on beating their competitors. And so now getting this all available to you via the Amazon SaaS Boost, uh, the Lambda functions, which are super cheap uh, and very scalable, you now get away from all of that undifferentiated heavy lifting. It's really good to have reference architecture like this. I mean, I think one of the big complaints in the community has been
0: that there are so many different ways to achieve things in AWS because of the way it's grown over the years that there's not really good guidance on how you should be doing things anymore. Especially with documentation that's kind of hanging around that's out of date. It's it can be difficult to know what to use. Um, but it is it is a Git repo and it is a reference architecture. It's so, well, I'm not surprised to see it marketed in this way. Um, it sounds more of a product
1: than it actually is, I think. I mean, it's workable code. Like, you can deploy that code in your Lambda function, and it does the thing if you're following the reference architecture. But yeah, it, it may not be perfect <laughs> or, or out of the box point and click and you know, away to the race as you go. But. Definitely sounds like a great starting point, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure. Well, they are now announcing the general availability of the AWS Application Migration Service. This is a new service that enables organizations to move applications to AWS without making changes to the applications, the architectures, or the migrated servers, uh, like just the lift and shift tool. So this is coming out of their CloudEndure acquisition, uh, and this is the next generation of the CloudEndure Server Migration Service. Uh, and if you're using that service, they are c- encouraging you to now move to the MGN, or Application Migration Service. Uh, AMS is based on that technology, and so it's basically the same thing, but just with a little bit fancier stuff and a little bit more cloud native. Would you use it? I don't know if I would. I feel kind of dirty using something like this
0: to to migrate anybody to the cloud, like, byte by byte. Kind of, well, yeah. I mean, if
1: if my play was lift and shift with no thought of transformation for, like, a legacy IT application that I just needed to get there, I'd use it.
0: I don't know, but just, just the, the debt that you're incurring by doing that, I mean, it, it kind of fails to address the some of the changes necessary to deal with things like AZs going down or EC2 maintenance events, because you still can't re-motion EC2s even within an AZ, which which people are used to doing on VMware.
2: Yeah. It's pretty nice though. Like when you're trying to get out of a data center contract, that's three months from renewing for another three years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to just get it out and deal and then transform after. And it's probably easier sometimes to transform from AWS to AWS than you know, from uh, from a data center to AWS.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess if it was, if it was the last server waiting to move and and otherwise you have to renew a contract, then I, I can kind of get that. But, it, you know, I think number one on my requirements list to, to begin a cloud migration is
1: that you don't have to do it this way.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I think this is not the, the way that most people should do it. We talked about that the, here on the show in the past. Like, this is the, I just need to move it. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if it's going to cost me a lot more money. I just need to get it done. Uh, option and, and you know and, and for some companies and some IT teams this is the right way to do it and for others this is not and it will cost you more <laughs> I guarantee it if you don't do more cloud native and you will probably potentially have less do- uptime than you want uh, because like you're excited it's not multi AZ it's not thinking that stuff through but uh, you know it does help people get people to the cloud and then Amazon can help them transform and work with their partners to get that transformation story going. Well, uh, we talked previously on the show about CloudFormation Guard, uh, which was their solution to basically give you policy as code evaluations uh, for CloudFormation, and apparently they loved it so much that they threw it all out and rewrote it as (laughs) 2.0, and they are now giving you the new (laughs) uh, general available release of the CloudFormation Guard 2.0, which is a complete rewrite uh, to support all of your policy rules in a JSON or YAML formatted file. Uh, such as Kubernetes configurations and Terraform JSON uh, configurations, in addition to already supported CloudFormation templates uh, we talked about in the past. Uh, it is open source uh, a command line interface that you can use and has a very specific domain, DSL. Uh, to write policy rules and validate their structure, hi- structured hierarchy, JSON, and YAML data against those rules. And all available to you uh, now. Uh, there's some good use cases for this, uh, preventative governance and compliance for shift left, uh, detective governance and compliance, and deployment safety, all available to you through the Gu- CloudFormation Guard 2.0. It's really cool to see something like this,
0: and it's already better than than uh, Terraform Sentinel. Um, and I think that the thing that you're going to miss, or well, people may miss it with announcement, that's labeled as CloudFormation Guard is that you can use it to to build policy um, enforcement for any kind of JSON or YAML-based file format. So they do call that Kubernetes, but
1: you could also use it to validate Terraform um, HCL. Yeah. Yeah, which is the nice part of this 2.0 release is it does support more than just CloudFormation, so you do get that Terraform support. Um, I'm sure there'll be some interesting solutions on how to use it uh, in place of Sentinel, which is only available to you really in the enterprise version of Terraform, so... Uh, nice to see, glad to see it out there, and I think it's a great pattern for those of you looking to do security as policy. I, I wonder if the next step's going to be, uh, we, we, we had the CDK, I wonder if there's going to be the, the guard
0: development kit so that we can generate oh these policies from, like, from test cases or we can easily deploy like um, the rules based on environments or products depending on the security policies you know for, for different uh, businesses, things like that, different business units. But of course, the, ne- the next step would be really like, it's great to integrate this with a, with a pipeline, but where's the CloudFormation support for it? Where, where, how can I deploy a policy like this as part of my organizational policy set so that nobody can run CloudFormation with a, a policy that doesn't meet these requirements? I think that that's, that's going to be the next big
1: requirement. Agreed. Well, apparently uh, Amazon Premium Support is tired of your silly, silly cases. <laughs> and so they're giving you the, now the ability to self-service, diagnose, and remediate all of your issues, uh, in particular around these new runbooks. Uh, these runbooks are considered the support automation workflows, uh, and they are. you can use runbooks to build uh, or sorry, runbooks are built by Amazon Premium Support to, in your AWS accounts to help diagnose and resolve the common issues. And these runbooks follow AWS best practices and lessons learned from supporting thousands of customers. Uh, For example, there's one for AWS Support Collect EKS Instance Logs runbook to gather operating system and relevant log files from an EKS node. Or another one uh, I saw was uh, EC2 instances and just go in there and basically pull relevant data to make support's job much, much easier. Uh, SAL utilizes, of course, Systems Manager runbooks capability to do this uh, and assists you in resolving connectivity issues with Amazon RDS, diagnosing access issues with Amazon simple storage service, and resetting Amazon EC2 access and much more all available to you to avoid those support cases coming to Amazon Premium Support, which you're paying for. So, you know, how much you want to use this or not use this uh, is a question of how much you like your TAM, I guess. Uh, There is a couple different versions of this. There is a enterprise and business level version, which has additional uh, runbooks, uh, but there's also a general support set of runbooks as well for those of you who do not pay for support.
0: I, I really like this. I really think that making this this common set of tools available is, is, is awesome. I mean it does it's a bit of like have you it off and on again yet? Um, yeah, really. <laughs> but like the, and paid for support and then doing it yourself, that's that's a different thing entirely. But just think thinking about what using runbooks to to gather data does, it means that the uh, the aws support staff who don't have access to ssh into your servers and grab logs can use jobs like this or ask you to run jobs like this to kind of bubble that information up into the output of ssm jobs that they can see in the console and it's going to make it's going to make the exchange of, of data much more uh, much more easy and and sort of frictionless so they can help support us better. I mean, hopefully gone are the days when they're they're pasting in uh, like bash scripts to run to, to do curls to measure the performance of CloudFront or something like that. And then we've got to paste all the data back in again. So by standardizing the data collection, we, we, they could probably also start looking at automating sort of responses to these things like, oh, if you've run this tool and this is the data that spat out, then maybe you should try XYZ type solutions before it even reaches a person.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of really cool things you can do with support bundles and, and several different products. And so um, I don't remember where the vendor is, but there's one where I, you could generate the support bundle and then you went to the website to go submit the support bundle to them. And it would actually do an analysis of the support bundle and tell you, hey, based on the logs, we see these six or seven errors. And here's the knowledge base articles for you to go fix those before you even open the case, um, which was super handy. And so there's definitely a nice thing to do to give a support bundle capability, which is really what these runbooks kind of do at the end of the day. Um, just to kind of simplify the support case creation process, as well as point you in the right direction, which is sometimes all you really are looking for, anyways. Yeah, and, and if that's the case, then build those, build those kind of monitoring things into the
0: observability platform that monitors those managed services and preemptively tell me that I should be making a configuration change or could be doing something better. That's like probably expose, next. Yeah, expose yeah. those things in, in a way that I can use to actually manage the product myself.
2: It's coming. The machines are coming. The machines are coming. (laughs) Machine learning and AI. (laughs) It's going to solve all the problems. That's great. Then I get to just sit on the beach and drink my time.
1: That'd be great. (laughs) Beaches are nice. (laughs) Well, if your problem is Elasticsearch service on Amazon costs you a ton of money because you have a ton of data in it, uh, and you've been you know you're taking advantage of that ultra warm tier, and that's still not getting enough of that savings, Amazon has your back this week with a new lower cost storage tier. Uh, This new storage tier supports cold storage, a fully managed storage tier that makes it easy for customers to securely store and analyze their infrequently accessed data on demand at a lower cost than the other storage tiers. You pay only for the compute. Uh, when you need it and the cold storage allows you to retain any amount of data in your ESS domain while reducing cost per gigabyte to near Amazon S3 storage prices uh, and that gives you even more capability to balance your data sets between hot, ultra warm and cold storage to choose what meets the best for your data retention query latency and budgeting needs all for your workload so that's a great great add addition I think
0: that's cool it's, it's, I think cold storage has been in the Elasticsearch version of the product for a while and so it's kind of it's a little slow to market but what well, great news for everybody and um, I, I think the, the future of open search in general looks great. If anyone, if anyone hasn't visited the GitHub repo, check out the issues and the community forums uh, that are sort of building up some steam. In in um, in getting that product converted and sort of rebranded and um, addressing some of the the issues that need to be done before we can go from the beta release to a general release then please do so. There's loads of things in there that that, um, are asking for beginner's help like easy things for first time contributors um, and there's plenty of things in there that they're just asking for general support
1: from the community to help with. That's awesome. Definitely eager to see where OpenSearch goes and and what we get out of it uh, over the next few years because I also think that you know, Elasticsearch, the company has, or Elastic.co, has a very specific vision and direction that they think the product should go, <clears throat> and that may not be in line with what you know other people need. <laughs> and so, you know, the nice thing is that now with this open search stuff, you know, if the community who actually is using this product versus Elastic, who's trying to sell the product, uh, you know, those those needs may be different, and maybe actually get prioritized properly to actually fix, you know, some of the challenges of managing Elasticsearch clusters or managing some of the big challenges of it. So, yeah, definitely some of the lots of opportunities.
0: Some of the features which, which, are, which are in there as either, either feature requests or, or, or things which have been accepted and worked on now, and there are patches for are things which make running Elasticsearch as, as a service um, easier, I like the ways to override things that, that customers, your customers might be doing, uh, silly things like the numbers of shards. Um, at, the, at the sort of system level, without needing index templates and without needing your customers who have done some magic magic thing which is poorly documented, Um in order to get the quality of service, so it's it's really it's good for everybody. It's good for people who want to deploy Elasticsearch at scale. That's
1: awesome. Well, EKS uh, has a new update for you. They're now supporting e- uh, Kubernetes 1.20 uh, on EKS, and apparently, for the Container Blog, they call this the raddest release ever. I don't know. You, you Judge for yourself. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they. one of the things we've been tracking on this is that they are trying to increase the speed of these releases. And so this is only coming uh, five months after the upstream release of 1.20, which means it's one month faster than 1.19 was, uh, which is great to see. Uh, with upstream now on Kubernetes, the main line is actually reducing to three releases a year. So maybe uh, that will help get Amazon to be able to get these done a little bit faster because they don't have four releases to do a year. They'll only have three. Uh, but overall, there's lots of great new features in the 1.2.0 release, including a TTL controller first introduced in 1.1.2. Uh, this helps solve a pain point related to jobs that are often used for tasks like generating reports or doing extract, transform, load jobs. And by default, pods that a job creates will stick around in your cluster after completion. And this has the intended purpose of allowing you to observe their logs and results. But the onus is on you, the operator, to clean them up. And so the TTL t- draw, uh, TTL solution actually does that for you now. So you can say this uh, particular pod only needs to live for this amount of time, and I want you to kill it automatically after X number of hours or minutes. Uh, this is uh, now in beta in the one two one release on the upstream, but uh, because it hasn't really changed and there's been a lot of customer requests for this, they are actually adding it to one two zero for you early to play with. Uh, so that's pretty nice. The PID limits uh, are now generally available on a per-node or per-pod basis. This allows you to reserve a certain number of PIDs uh, or process identifiers for the OS, which can prevent Kubernetes from starving your operating system, which is never a good scenario. And then volume snapshots have moved to GA, API priority and fairness has moved to beta, root CA config map has moved to beta, and the Docker shim is beginning to be deprecated uh, and will be moving to container D in a future release. Uh, So they said that will show up in your logs, but you can just safely ignore it for the time being.
2: Volume snapshot sounds like Lots of people are going to get some use out of that. Oh, I'm sure.
0: Weird feature, really. It's not, It's sort of started off as a container orchestrator, but now it's sort of going a little further down the stack again into managing some of those things, which were typically not the, not the things that
2: people wanted to think about. They can't help it. They're just trying to become VMware again. Yeah. For containers. <laughs> yeah, we're going to meet Tanzu in the middle somewhere. <laughs> just creep, scope creep, feature creep. Yeah,
0: actually, we did need those infrastructure guys after all. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Well, you know. This is how you run Kubernetes with the 1.2.0 release, uh, but you know there's other ones, other ways you can also run containers on Amazon Web Services. And those things may include things like Beanstalk or Copilot, ECS, Fargate, uh, Lightsail for containers, App Two Container, Proton, Lambda, Code Build, Nimble Studio, post, greengrass, Grass, Snowball, or Red Hat OpenShift on AWS. Uh, and so today, AWS is giving you another way to run containers Yay. with the new AWS App Runner, which I love the name. It reminds me of a uh, CodeStar Runner. Which is a comic back from the 90s. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. But uh, basically, this is uh, something for those of you who love containers but hate up setting up everything around the container. So, this think of the load balancer or the domain or setting up TLS uh, or creating the CI CD pipeline to deploy that container service. And so, the AWS App Runner makes it easy for you to deploy a web app and API to the cloud, regardless of the language they're written in, even for teams that lack prior experience. As all you have to do is point the App Runner at your code repo and if there's a Docker file, uh, it'll handle the building of that. Or a there's uh, a link to a, a ECR or public Docker registry. You can get that through that as well. A couple other things about this: um, there are some interesting limitations. So do read the documentation about this. Uh, and you know Deepak Singh, who's the VP of Compute Services at AWS, and prior was the container guy, uh, tweeted that the App Runner is a combined effort actually from the ECS Fargate team uh, and the Beanstalk team. Uh, so that's an interesting. Uh, collaboration inside of AWS to bring you this App Runner service, in addition to all the other bajillion services that run containers for
2: you on AWS. Just when you thought we, they needed infrastructure people again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
0: Beanstalk. Is Beanstalk going to be? It's all automated. Beanstalk going to become the um, the simple DB of of uh, application deployment now?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this isn't simple. This isn't Elastic Beanstalk. I mean, it has no, this no, no. idea. I mean, it it, it, it replaces, I mean, in a way, kind of replaces a lot of functionality. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's been a ton of services at AWS that have been slowly eating away functionality from Beanstalk. Just Beanstalk gives you kind of this one-stop shop to run all these different things. And, you yeah, know, considering what it's doing versus OpsWorks, uh, it, it definitely seems to get more love. So, mm, OpsWorks. <laughs> uh, there are, like I mentioned, there are some, some caveats uh, and some partners here, actually. So, first of all, the first caveat um, is that this is only ephemeral storage, <laughs> so this is uh, if you want this to be stateful, this is not a stateless or a stateful container runtime service for you. This is only for stateless applications, which then makes me chuckle because the first partner they list that's going to support this is MongoDB.
2: <laughs> 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 ephemeral MongoDB, that's perfect. Uh,
1: and unfortunately, it was not about running your MongoDB on App Runner. It's actually about connecting your App Runner applications to MongoDB Atlas. Uh, which is their cloud service. Uh, so you can make, connect them together seamlessly and easily. They're partners, as well as Datadog. HashiCorp uh, has day, release day infrastructure as code support for this service. Uh, they partnered with AWS to have that, so you can already deploy this in, hash, in uh, Terraform code, as well as Pulumi, Logs.io, and Sysdig are all coming to you later in the year. Uh, so definitely interesting.
0: Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the Cloud CloudPod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud, under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, Visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the
1: promise of cloud delivered. All right, well, moving on to uh, GCP. Google and SpaceX have unveiled their partnership. They are the second major cloud infrastructure deal to bring satellite-powered internet and cloud services to Earth's fast, farthest reaches. Uh, Elon Musk led uh, star, uh, sorry, SpaceX as uh, partner with Google Cloud to basically provide you integration with the Starlink satellites directly into your Google Cloud data center. Uh, This follows recent announcements, of course, by AWS and Azure uh, with a focus on enabling the cloud for space. And while the Google partnership is similar, the deal appears to go beyond what Microsoft is offering by weaving the SpaceX technologies more tightly into Google's core data center infrastructure. A satellite service will be offered to Google Enterprise customers sometime in the second half of 2021, combining their respective competencies to deliver data, cloud services, and applications customers at the networking edge, the extreme edge. The edge of space. Indeed. (laughs) Yeah. It makes sense that this isn't Amazon because, you know, Bezos has his competitor. <laughs> so right. why, why would Starlink want to use theirs? It could good to use with Amazon. They have their uh,
0: satellite connectivity service. We could probably hack something together. Sure. A little
1: bridge. Yeah, <laughs> you can do anything with enough code, <laughs> enough bridges. So. Yeah. Uh, you can maximize your Cloud Run investments with the new committed use discounts from Google this week. Uh, one of the key benefits, of course, of Cloud Run is that it lets you pay only for what you use, down to the 100 millisecond granularity. And this is ideal for elastic workloads, notably workloads that can scale to zero or that need instant scaling. However, some customers and some traffic doesn't always come to zero or it's very predictable. And in the cases where it's very predictable or has a very similar daily usage pattern uh, resulting in a predictable spend, you can now commit yourself to Google uh, in a commitment ceremony that will be at the uh, <laughs> corner of you know, 12th and 5th. And uh, you can go through that. But to address this, uh, this discount gives you a 17% discount uh, when you commit to it for a year. Uh, and you can now aggregate this across all of your projects and accounts so you don't have to worry about uh, one account using all of it or not using enough of it. You can use that elsewhere as well. So that's great.
2: On demand, know. except for the volume and uh, you know, we always get volume and term commit uh, discounts. Yeah.
0: that's so like, like it automatic.
2: Good. <laughs> like I have to yeah, exactly. Right. I,
0: I mean, I, I get that they want to use this for capacity planning, um, but it's it's such an anti-pattern. And even to call out that you pay for what you use, but then you want to commit to paying all this up front. I know. I find it bothersome. I wish you could kind of like tell them that you expected a certain rate and sort of be billed that rate and then show up at the end of the year if you didn't quite make it or something like that. Um, but it, I think all these, all these savings plans, whether it be Googles or Amazons, uh, makes it really hard to sell kind of the economy of cloud and, and, um, do sort of doing the right things as far as, um, pay for use to engineering yeah. teams. Because if you tell them that, well, we've already committed to spend, to spending $120,000 a month on compute, the incentive to actually save anything goes away immediately.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, these commitments also then kind of screw you because now you don't want to do spot instances because they're not covered by these things. Uh, But you already have a commitment that you're going to spend these dollars. So there are some challenges with how we do our eyes and savings plans today um, and other different models. So that's why I always kind of like the Google model of, you know, if I've been running the server for more than, you know, I think it's 40% of the month, you just automatically get discounts. That's kind of nice.
2: (laughs) You know, so. Past performance, just like NFL contracts, free agent contracts, pay on past performance, not future. results. (laughs) Results. <laughs> well,
1: if uh, you know price was not the reason why you weren't using Cloud Run, but maybe security was,
2: <laughs> Google has
1: four new features for you on the security side for Cloud Run services. Uh, the first is the you can now manage your secrets using the Google Secret Manager, which it seems like it should have been a day one capability because uh, using a secret manager is always better than using environmental variables, which was the only way to do it prior. Uh, binary authorization which allows you to make sure that the system, uh, the container or the run uh, artifact was basically run, uh, built by an approved build system, approved by your QA team, and analyzed for vulnerabilities before getting deployed into production. Uh, you can now bring your own encryption keys uh, to ensure your systems are writing data only that you have the encryption keys for, as well as a set of new recommended best practices, uh, such as setting a service account for your Cloud Run services versus using the default compute service account, which apparently is something people do and I don't recommend. Uh, those are all available to you now in the Cloud Run Console, uh, giving you best practices and all of the amazing security features
2: uh, to make sure you're doing the right things. Thumbs up. Yeah, nothing to complain about Better really. <laughs> right? no. Secrets Manager is a is a no-brainer requirement.
0: I mean, the only one that didn't surprise me was uh, the binary authorization thing, because I think although there are tools available for that, it's still it's still not very prevalent, and it's certainly not built in natively to a lot of these platforms. So that's, that, that's neat, but the other kind of... Uh, table stakes anymore, probably.
1: Yeah, but they were all missing. So if, yeah. if those were things you needed, you couldn't do them. Yeah. So that's always a bummer. Or you're, or you're adding additional code to your cloud run function to do the thing, right? You, you, know, you could put your own uh, vault logic in. That would pull secrets from a vault uh, system uh, or something else. But you know, now that it's all built in, you don't have to do that. It can be passed in by the runtime. Hopefully faster, more performant, and less milliseconds to pay for and commit to. So if you committed it then did the security, you might actually uh,
2: you know, be over committing yourself. So be careful. Every time I hear these table stakes announcements, I think of the sales rep at Google who's super excited that they're about to lose a deal to AWS, and now they don't have to lose the deal to him. <laughs> <laughs> Just in time. Just in time.
1: Uh, securing websites and applications is a constant challenge for most organizations, and to make it easier, Google is giving you new capabilities within the Cloud Armor uh, over the past year to help protect your application. And with the launch of the Google Cloud Armor Manage Protection Plus... Wow, that's, that's a mouthful. Uh, you can now get all of the things bundled, including advanced DDoS protection capabilities, WAF capabilities, ML based adaptive protection, efficient pricing, build protection, and access to Google's DDoS response support service in an enterprise friendly subscription, uh, which is code for expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so basically the standard Cloud Armor service gave you global load balancers, a la carte pricing for WAF, uh, some pre configured rules, no DDoS stuff. Uh, and pay-as-you-go Mo- billing model. With now the Managed production Plus gives you a subscription option, which gives you premium support and all the additional goodies that make you happy in the security world.
0: Again, with the with the having to commit to something though. Like, what if what if I go out of business in in a, in uh, two months or three months or something? What if the economy... Google's not
1: going to get their money if I go out of business? Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what if the economy changes and my my business model changes? I I don't know. I've got to wonder how, what value it is to not provide a lot of these things to all the customers. Surely, in the case of a DDoS, for example, like, that, that's going to affect all of their infrastructure, all the way down to the, you know, the, the hypervisor that runs your VM. So making this a per-customer thing, uh, no, well, I mean if that's if that's really Google's the best gonna thing. protect
1: the other customers. They're just not gonna protect you. So if your system is auto scaling up to handle <laughs> the DDoS traffic, you're gonna be paying a fortune you're
2: and you're gonna, gonna wish you had that it. DDoS exactly.
1: protection. And so that's you know, Google's like, Yeah, we got you, we've scaled that traffic for you like you asked us to, even though it was l- illegitimate traffic. So <laughs> mm. yeah. I'm sure you know Google's desire to help you uh, avoid liabilities, like I said, they'll make that available to you somewhere in the future too. We're like, Oh we, you know, if this happens to you, we won't we won't charge you. <laughs> the absorbent yeah. fees to scale up your workload. Yeah, I guess it's not an insurance plan, basically. They seem to be selling a lot of insurance
0: recently.
1: Yeah. Well, So uh, Google I.O. was last week, and we don't typically cover Google I.O. here because they don't typically talk about the cloud too much. It's really an Android event, typically, and a couple other things. Uh, but they did cover cloud, of course they did, because we weren't prepared. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, basically, I'm going to give you kind of a quick summary of what's happened here. So the first announcement they announced uh, in the cloud space is the announcement of Vertex AI, a new managed machine learning platform that is meant to make it easier for developers to deploy and maintain their AI models. Uh, And the launch of Vertex is a result of a lot of introspection by the Google Cloud team. Uh, Craig Wiley, the director of product management for Google Cloud's AI platform, says, uh, Machine learning in the enterprise is in crisis, in my opinion. As someone who has worked in that space for a number of years, if you look at the Harvard Business Review or Analyst Reviews or what have you, every single one of them comes out and saying that the vast majority of companies are either investing or are interested in investing in machine learning and are not getting value from it. That has to change and it has to change. Uh, Wiley, of course, is the former general manager of AWS SageMaker AI Service, which he ran from 2016 to 2018 before coming to Google in 2019, uh, noted how companies like Google and others were able to make ML work, saw how it can be transformational, but he noted that Big Cloud started offering these services by launching dozens of services, many of which are dead ends, including some of Google's products. And Vertex is meant to be a very flexible platform that allows developers and data scientists across skill levels to quickly train models. And Google says it takes about 80% fewer lines of code to train a model versus some of the competitors. Uh, it's also integrated into Vizier, which is Google's AI optimizer and uh, has a feature store so you can go find other people's solutions to ML challenges you might have and just take them from the feature store. And deployment is backed, of course, by the continuous monitoring service. And Vertex Pipelines, which is the rebranded Google Cloud's AI platform pipelines, that helps teams manage the workflows involved in preparing and analyzing data for the models, train them, evaluate them, and deploy to production. Uh, there are several developer entry points, including drag-and-drop tools, notebooks for advanced users, and the BigQuery ML. Uh, Google's tool for using standard SQL queries to execute ML models. Uh, Again, back to our friends at Google, uh, Andrew Moore, Vice President General Manager of Cloud AI Industry Solutions at Google said, We had two guiding lights while building Vertex AI. Get data scientists and engineers out of the orchestration weeds and create an industry-wide shift that would make everyone get serious about moving AI out of pilot purgatory and into full-scale production. We are very proud of what we came up with in this platform as it enables serious deployments for a new generation of AI that will empower data scientists and engineers to do fulfilling and creative work.
2: Surprised uh, that Mr. Wiley did not have a uh, non-compete in his contract. (laughs) Yeah.
1: For how long, though? I mean, It was a year, wasn't it? <laughs> right, Not that long. I was wondering about that too. I was like, 2019. Huh. So weird. I mean, he's. Oh, he said. Well, I mean, he was. The, I guess he was there. Yeah, he's there. 2018. Well, he didn't start until Google 2019. So maybe he had to wait a year before he could go start there. Who knows? Uh, there are several features of a- this. You know, access to the AI toolkit. Uh, we've just using internally at Google to do all your machine learning, vision, language, conversation, or conversion, and structured data. It's enhanced by Google Research. Uh, all the new features are all been renamed to it, Vertex like Edge Manager and the Feature Store, et cetera, and you can manage your models all there. So quite a bit of stuff. Uh, Definitely a very powerful release compared to SageMaker. Initially, I think it's catching up to SageMaker today. But if you compare what SageMaker was when it first shipped versus what it is now, uh, this is a very full-featured release to be competitive, for sure. All right. (laughs) Well, Google also released Lambda, but not that Lambda. (laughs) Lambda is L-A-M-D-A. Uh, but not Lambda like serverless. Uh, And this is all to improve conversation (laughs) technology for chatbots. The chatbot will first have to clarify which Lambda we're talking about (laughs) because I'm confused. Uh, But apparently conversations are difficult as they tend to revolve around specific topics that that then weave down different paths which would change the context. The meandering quality of a conversation quickly stump modern conversational agents, and Lambda's conversation skills have been years years in the making. Like many recent language models, including BERT and GPT-3, It's built on Transformer, a neural network architecture that Google's invented and is open sourced. And the architecture produces a model that can be trained to read many words, like a sentence or a paragraph, for example, and pay attention to how those words relate and then predict what words will come out next. Lambda, unlike other languages, was trained on dialogue, making it easier to pick up on several of the nuances that distinguish open conversation from other forms of language. Uh, I mean, this sounds yeah, really cool. Definitely. I just don't I, know why they I decided to call it Lambda. Lambda. <laughs> like just market confusion. <laughs> and maybe, that, maybe that's what's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. L-A- You're supposed to Law MDA, or I don't. Know. I don't know how that's supposed to be pronounced. I try to go watch the video from. Maybe they can explain it to me. But yeah, it's going to cause some confusion in the short term.
2: Sounds like a psychedelic that Joe Rogan is experimenting with. <laughs> Other than the left. Lambda.
0: I think the interesting thing about about chatbots though is is that. So many people have been using them for such a long time now, and we understand the limitations. We don't have the same expectations, I think, that, that we can speak to a, a Google Home or an Alexa or, or Siri in the same way that we'd speak to somebody sitting next to us. We, we sort of learn the patterns. We learn the, we learn the way to ask things, and we learn the way to do things. And, and so we're being educated by those systems as much as those systems are being guided by our own natural language. So, so I think we'll probably meet somewhere in the middle. I don't think we'll ever get conversational AI in the same way as you would chat with a friend, but um, it's certainly getting better. Like, do we need to, to? Do we need computers to pass the Turing test and convince convince us that they're another person for them to do the job that we're asking them
1: to do? And I think the answer is probably no. What Google's after here is how do I, how do I replace humans and phone interactions? How do I replace things to avoid costs of having people do this work? Um, and so, you know, the more conversational it can be, then of course it can, it can handle, you know, that without people suddenly so realizing, hey, I'm talking to a computer. And so that's, that's probably what this is about. But um, yeah, you know, when you combine this with deepfake technology, it gets really scary really quickly.
0: I'm not sure why Google are complaining about paying support people. They hardly pay any support people anyway. <laughs>
1: that's not <laughs> that what they're known true. for. <laughs> not known for good support, for sure. <laughs> Well, and the final uh, Google I.O. announcement uh, is coming to the cloud eventually, but not there quite yet, is that is the new uh, TPU chips, the next generation of its custom tensor processing units, or TPU AI chips. This is now the fourth generation of these chips, which Google says are twice as fast as its third generation. The chips apparently are combined into pods of 4,096 V4 TPUs, and a single pod delivers over one exaflop of computing power.
2: Oh, my Uh, God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's massive. But Chai had to say, this is the fastest system we've ever deployed at Google and a historic milestone for us. Previously, to get an exaflop, you need to build a custom supercomputer, but we already have many of these deployed today and we'll soon have dozens of TPU V4 pods in our data centers, many of which will be operating at near or 90% carbon-free energy. And our TPU V4 pods will be available to our cloud customers later this year. Uh, TPUs were apparently one of Google's first custom chips. Uh, while others like Microsoft went over after flexible FPGAs first, uh, Google has made the bet early and is paying, you know, getting the dividends of that bet in this announcement for sure. You're the, you're the, you're the GPU guy. Like, aren't you excited <laughs> about this, Jonathan? You're just silent. Well, it's not ready yet. It's, a, it's an sure, early. It's not ready yet. I mean, it,
0: I'm, I'm sure they're suffering the same constraints in the semiconductor industry as everybody else is. I'm sure they would have liked to have these out sooner than later. But, um, I mean, exaflops, it's just unbelievable amounts of compute power. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. When will they be ready?
2: What's the next? What's after exaflop?
0: Their model didn't predict the, uh, the constraints in the semiconductor
1: industry, apparently.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Fortunately, they cannot predict pandemics you know, at this level. So. Well, uh, let's move on to our friends in Redmond at Azure. Uh, I, did, I did enjoy your guys' take on the new Azure logo, the Google of A's. That was I. I <laughs> chuckled pretty good about that because it, it does remind me that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. It's sad I wasn't here to talk about it because it's just well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, first up, Microsoft is going to upgrade its cloud products' uh, data controls in EU. Uh, this initiative called the EU Data Boundary for Microsoft Cloud with. Uh, will be, uh, sorry, will complete later in 2022 after engineering gets finished. And so I don't know why they're quite pre-announcing this at this point, but, you know, they did. Uh, The initiative spans Azure Microsoft 365, which includes the Office and Dynamics products, with the main benefit for EU-based customers that they'll get the ability to have Microsoft store and process all of their information in data centers located within the EU block. Uh, Customers in Norway and Switzerland will also have access to this feature as well. You know, they're not part of the European Union. Uh, and companies will not only have, uh, have control of their data, they can also set the storage location for certain auxiliary information such as diagnostic logs used by Microsoft to perform troubleshooting. And the plan includes any personal data in diagnostic data and service-generated data and the personal data we use to provide technical support, per Brad Smith. Uh, so lots of interesting use cases here. Uh, I do wonder about putting diagnostic logs not in a central place for support and say, oh, yeah, you're sorry, you're an EU block customer. I had to go find your data in the right data center you're in. That seems like a bad, bad scenario, but uh, maybe not. So this is definitely trying to make the EU happy. Uh, Maybe this is why France said, you know, we're good with Azure. They're going to build this for us.
2: Yeah, maybe. Maybe they asked for a bunch of stuff and Amazon said that's not in our priority list. Okay. Maybe. I, th- I think a lot of this has to do with
0: legislation that they really have no way to avoid. If they, if they want to do business in, in France or in the EU, then they, they're going to have to comply with these things anyway. So it's, it's sort of a, uh, it, it looks good to, to, to have a press release like this, but the, the alternative is they can't trade there.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the, the future is blockchain. And blockchain is taking over the world, of course, you know, with Bitcoin and Ethereum. Actually, interestingly enough, I saw on Twitter earlier, someone was talking about the blockchain is actually the reason why we have ransomware attacks now, (laughs) you know, the scale that we do of, like, the pipeline shutdown all that, because before that, there was no way to transfer that kind of money between parties unless you were in the same country or all these other different ways. And so blockchain has actually enabled all of this terrible, terrible encryption ransomware attacks, which I had never really thought about before, and it was kind of interesting. But... Uh, I'm digressing from the real topic here, which is that Microsoft has apparently killed their Azure Blockchain Service <laughs> with the uh, deprecation of the service on September 10th, 2021. So if you are an Azure Blockchain Service, I apologize to you now. You have work to do <laughs> to move off of the Azure Blockchain Service before it turns, uh, gets shut down. Uh, this apparently can be replaced with the consensus, uh, protocol, which is apparently a leader in the Ethereum solution space, uh, and has a way for you to move your Azure blockchain service to them. Uh, and this will offer you all their quorum blockchain services at consensus to help you out if you are in this boat. Uh, but apparently Azure is out of the blockchain game. Well, if you
2: need to move, we can help you.
1: Well, if you need to move, I'll help you if you bring me a suitcase with, uh,
0: Full, of, full of uh, millions of dollars of millions of dollars, unmarked bills and <laughs> <in> a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, blockchain <laughs> is not the only way to get get huge amounts of money. Certainly convenient, though.
2: Bear bonds. <laughs> uh, well, when I was last with you,
1: I announced that Azure had finally discovered real time web apps, uh, and now I'm here to tell you they've now discovered static web apps. <laughs> With the launch of the Azure Static Web Apps uh, now generally available, this is a turnkey service for modern full-stack web app with pre-built and pre-rendered static front-ends and a serverless API backend. You'll be able to develop with a popular front-end frameworks or static site generators, quickly build and test your apps locally, and deploy with a simple check-in, enabling you to focus on building your app while Azure takes care of all the deployment and infrastructure of their static web app.
2: Jonathan, we're back to the beach.
0: <laughs> uh, sounds good.
1: I mean, the static web apps are great until you want to have any interaction. Then it's like, oh, yeah. If I want to do comments, I have to now either integrate with Discus or I have to like write this custom logic to basically you know, let people commit, you know, submit a comment into a database. Then I can then render back into a static website app. You know, just, there are some limitations
2: of this uh, this particular model. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, nope. It's easy. Nope. It's easy. Automatic. Everything is easy. Sure. Okay. Everything's easy. Everything's. <laughs>
0: I was always concerned with with um, you know if you, if you have a static web app then you have to have anonymous access to T S serverless functions on the back end to to invoke them which means you're really at risk of of uh, somebody coming along and and uh, racking up your bill by just hitting that thing millions of times just to annoy. you. That sounds like a great use case for
1: WAF and CDN. <laughs> <laughs> Can you have WAF and CDN in a in a on a static site? Why couldn't you? Yeah, you definitely put it in front of it and then you. Uh, you basically could look for, and you know, then with Lambda at the edge, you could do other things, too. A little so, and then you action. And then, you're, and then you're just into servers, and you're making a, a very complicated, non-dynamic you know web page through a thousand other services, <laughs> just so you can have a static web app. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, save money by deploying all this extra stuff that costs you $10,000 a month.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the American way right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, that is it for uh, lightning or for the Noyan show, and now we're going to lightning round with Peter
2: all right general availability announcement azure key vault sla has been raised to four nines 99.99 which is still not good enough because if
1: it's down ever your service is broken <laughs> so i appreciate their effort but you know it's still not good enough it needs to be five nines minimum because uh, if i can not get my encryption key i can't access my data and now i'm gray cranky
2: amazon emr 6.3 now supports apache ranger for fine-grained Data access control.
1: Just don't make it so fine grained that it becomes the Lone Ranger. Uh, <sighs> I was I was I was hunting
0: for like a Walker Texas Ranger joke. So many <laughs> different things I went through, like Ranger, 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 nothing, nothing funny. Lone Ranger. Oh, by
1: the way, you guys commented last week that I had I had written the show, you know, I'd given you jokes. <sighs> Uh, and that I couldn't win. And I wasn't actually, I wrote them for you guys because sometimes you guys don't have any jokes for these. And so I was just trying to help you guys out. And so it wasn't, I wasn't trying to game the system. I know I get a point last week. It was all about. No, it's okay. And then, then you, was, ro- you guys were giving Ryan so much bad time about, you know, stealing my joke. You know, I know, I, I left it I there. I told her to to him to steal them
2: before <laughs> the show started. <laughs> before the show started, I said, you should steal all of Jonathan's jokes. <laughs> you should. That's, well, that's the right way. It was great. It was awesome. AWS WAF adds support for log filtering. Does that make the people who read the logs filter feeders? Boom! <laughs> no love lost. <laughs> Amazon Connect adds near real-time insights into voice call, chat, and task activity.
1: Near real-time?
2: Now you realize why he
1: color hung up a second too late. <laughs> he was angrier than he hung up. Oh, yeah. Well, if we were in real-time, we would have known he was angry before he hung up. And then, and then if they get forecast added to this, they can predict it. So that's what they really need. Amazon Connect adds forecast capabilities to detect your activity. Yeah.
0: Amazon, Amazon Connect slams the phone down before your customers can.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hello, don't hang up. I love it. Now use AWS Systems Manager change calendar to prevent desired state updates during critical events. I mean, isn't
1: that the whole point of the change calendar to prevent this? Like, why are we adding this in? Like, wait a minute, you didn't do that before? Because I thought that was what we were doing. That's the whole point of the change calendar is to prevent the change. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Amazon. I appreciate that, mm. I guess.
0: On, on the other hand, you know, most of the time when people have changes, it's because they need, to make, they need to make changes to their desired state. So preventing people from making changes to their desired state during changes
2: is, uh, I don't know, counterintuitive. Kind of Counterintuitive. AWS License Manager now provides historical license usage reporting.
1: Clearly an Oracle lawyer was Trojan horse into Amazon to make this capability.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd like my sequel license usage during the Renaissance period, please. <laughs> Shout out to my favorite comedian, Stephen Wright. <laughs> oh, no.
2: Are we going to get sued? No, we're not going to get sued. Probably not. He's too old now. Probably not. Amazon Macy supports criteria-based bucket selection for sensitive data discovery jobs. Which is great, because the only criteria that you should care about is the one that says public. (laughs) And you should scan those make sure you don't have data there that shouldn't. Google's translation API, Advanced, can translate business documents across 100-plus languages. Which saved you so much money until you realized you had to QA 100-plus language documents to make sure that it didn't insult them somehow. (laughs) Oh, No. Maybe you're just picking one language of the hundred. Imagine the lawyers you're going to need for for something like that. You know, translating
0: something word for word may not necessarily have the same you know ultimate meaning
2: in one language or another. Yeah,
0: that's a, it's a big can of worms right there.
2: It was on Transcribe. Improves live subtitling with partial results stabilization. I mean, it's live. I I need them to be as accurate, not stabilized.
1: Like. Well, I think Jonathan said that that was a terrible idea, but I'm not really sure. You know, he might have said something completely different, but it's only partially valid. So I, yeah. You know. but then do you disclose that at the beginning of the transcription like this is a partially valid uh, transcription? Don't take it seriously. Like it, it, it needs to be real time. It needs to be accurate. That's my opinion. Feel about transcribing?
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: do what I mean, not what I say.
2: <laughs> exactly. Google now allows you to automate your budgeting with the billing budgets API. Well we talked about budgeting. I just want to throw in
0: my two cents.
1: Uh <laughs> if your job is so If if your job is so anal that you have to update the budget automatically when you provision new infrastructure, uh, you should probably find a new job. I'm just gonna like that's ridiculous. <laughs> this you have this.
2: And even, yeah, like but maybe, maybe it's like you 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 create a pro like you want to automate the process of creating a project and along with that project setting up billing alerts for that project. I can see mm-hmm. that working.
1: Well, yeah, but the worst part that. is that this, this article actually, if you go to it, it has a meme in it. <laughs> and it's basically this person's brain saying, Are you going to sleep? And then the person saying, Yes, I am, now shut up. And then it says, Do you do you remember to update that budget? And then the person opens their eye and looks pissed off. I'm like, Really? Like I, <laughs> this is a weird, weird. I mean, I appreciate the meme in the in the press release because that's a new thing. I haven't seen that before, but oof, it's rough. I must just be the life of the CFO. Ah, uh, to be a CFO, worried about pennies.
2: More GA announcing lower pricing for provision throughput for Azure Ultra Discs. And now the fact that your Ultra Disk was super expensive is no longer a good excuse for not using Ultra Disk. Don't get fired. Use the Ultra Disk. Is there a cascading effect with all of the other lower levels of disk now to make I mean, them all still viable? They'll, they'll,
1: what they'll do is they'll just smash the pricing on all of them down to the point that they're all equal pricing, and then no one will know what to do.
2: <laughs> yes. Crazy. And last but not least, ground processing with space data is five times faster with Azure. Which. This this story
1: is fantastic, just because if you read it, it's the commercially augmented space internetworks operations center, which is Casino for short. Which all of this space stuff is a complete casino play. Like, is it really going to yeah. make money? I don't know. Let's gamble on this at the casino. Yes, the casino. <laughs> that's also a good movie. If you haven't seen that movie in a while, that's it still holds up.
2: Casino. That is a good movie. Fantastic movie. It was over uh, uh, when I heard Lone Ranger. <sighs> <sighs> Sorry, Jonathan. Good effort today, though, Jonathan. I liked it. It was good. He he did his homework. He showed up, went down swinging.
1: Well, I I did, uh, you know, as we're going to what's coming up, I did hear you make merciless fun of uh, Google for not updating the frequently updated blog post, (laughs) which is supposed to be frequently updated. (laughs) And I can report to you this week that they did update it. There are two new ones. First is the new applied ML uh, session summit coming up on June 10th. Uh, as well as the Digital Manufacturer Summit on June 22nd. Uh, so those are available to you if you're in the manufacturing space or you're interested in ML. Uh, my GCP sales rep has actually uh, been sending me this June 10th thing said, you should go. It's going to be awesome. So I'm going to go attend it, I think. I think I'm actually going to make it to the summit. Uh, and then uh, big news. Reinforce is back August 24th through the 25th in Houston. So just showing exactly how much money – You know, Amazon must save on every conference of, like, when is the worst possible time in this physical location we could book a conference? And, of course, that is August for Houston. And so that is where Reinforce will be. And it will be in person, uh, which will be the first conference, I think, for any of the cloud vendors that will be in person that I'm aware of at this moment. Although I do stand to be corrected if I'm wrong. Uh, So that means that most likely Reinvent will also be in person uh, in November. And my liver already hurts, so yeah <laughs> but uh, uh what do you guys feel about reinforce? uh you know i'm I'm debating it because the first one I went to in Boston, it was a bit of a swing and a miss for me content wise. Uh, I'm not sure that I am eager to go to Houston in August, <laughs> all the things against it, you know, but also I'd love to see people. So I also kind of want to go just for the fact that I could meet people from, you know, our listeners and maybe I can get Jonathan and Ryan and Peter to come out and we can all have a, have a great time and give stickers out and stuff. So I mean, that, I mean, that part of it is alone is why I would want to go. Uh, I don't know if the content's compelling though. You yeah, do have a good barbecue.
2: There's good barbecue in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> not,
1: not as good as Austin, but
2: good. I'm, pretty certain one or two reinvents. I spent an entire week in Vegas and never left the hotel. So it might not matter.
1: Uh, I believe the Houston Convention Center is not attached to the hotels. <laughs> so oh, you at least okay. have to walk across the road, I think. Although it's Sticky been it's been years since I've been to Houston, so that may have changed since I've last been there. But... Um yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be hot and sweaty and humid in August. The road, is that, that like way. a 10-line highway we have to cross in the morning? That's like dicing down. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, it could be. It is Houston. Um, you know, it, it's worse if you have to like you know get on the freeway that goes around the city to get anywhere. Because anywhere in Houston you want to go to, it takes like 35 minutes to get there, no matter what it seems like. Yeah, got to get an Uber just across the road in some places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that is uh, all that's coming up right now. But uh, I am excited about that Google Cloud Summit updated the blog post. (laughs) So I was just leaving it here, but uh, we'll definitely see what comes up with that. And then we'll keep an eye on Reinforce. Uh, It does look like their CISO will be keynoting that again uh, as he keynoted it in Boston. So it'll be interesting to see. And that is it in the week for cloud. Awesome. Sweet. Have a great week. See you next week. Yeah, later. See you. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag TheCloudPod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign up instructions.